I'm Metfest. I'm Joanna. So, we have a lot of new voices today. Did you notice that? I will get the ball rolling. We've got a bunch of interesting stories over the past week, but mine has to do with a current proposal right now concerning the splitting of Hyde Park into two districts. So, new congressional districts proposed by Illinois Democrats would keep Hyde Park split into two congressional districts to give Democrats a significant advantage over Republicans in Illinois' congressional delegation by creating more districts with majority Democratic voters. Under this new revised map, one of the congressional districts would continue to cover most of Hyde Park, including the university, while the other would cover an area east of Lake Park and south of 53rd, as well as east of Dorchester and north of 53rd. These decisions about the realignment had to be made, apparently, after the decennial census found that the state lost population and would only receive 17 states in the House of Representatives, down from 18 in the previous decade. In Illinois, congressional districts get drafted and passed by the General Assembly before being signed into law by the governor. Dems control both chambers of the Illinois General Assembly and the governorship, making our state one of only eight where Democrats fully control the redistricting process. If passed, the new map could give Democrats control of as many as 14 of the state's 17 seats. Republicans have been quick to denounce the proposal as a partisan gerrymander, citing oddly shaped districts and a lack of transparency. The nonpartisan Princeton gerrymandering project graded the proposal as an F overall, with grades of F in partisan fairness, geographic features, and competitiveness. This was originally reported by Daniel Schwartz. I mean, the thing is, in 2010, it was it was reversed, right? I think so, so, yeah. so Democrats were denouncing Republicans for redistricting in weird yeah. ways. Yeah, it's so, gerrymandering either way. It's just a pendulum. It goes yeah. back and forth, back and forth. Anyway, does anyone here watch Superstore? That's the NBC sitcom. Yeah, in it, one of the characters dresses up as gerrymandering. So he has, like, blue and red districts. And everyone thought he was Spider-Man. It was actually a very funny joke. <laughs> anyway, I'm up next. Uh, in an article originally published by Natalie Manley, the following information was reported about the Black Panther Party. Uh, Friday, October 15th, marked the 55th anniversary of the founding of the Black Panther Party and 53 years since the civil rights activist Fred Hampton joined the Illinois chapter of the BPP Party. Under Fred Hampton's leadership, the Illinois chapter of the BPP offered a wide set of initiatives for impoverished black communities, including free food, clothing, and busing. Hampton also succeeded in the formation of the Rainbow Coalition, an interracial alliance with other activist groups such as the Young Lords and the Young Patriots. The growing power of the Illinois BPP chapter unfortunately garnered attention from anti-civil rights groups, and Hampton was killed in 1969 in an FBI operation targeting leftist political groups. Part of the celebration of the anniversaries included a launch by Fred Hampton Jr., Fred Hampton's son and the current chairman of the Illinois BPP chapter of an official application for historic landmark status for the Hampton House, which was Fred Hampton's childhood home. 
There is currently a campaign in place to commemorate the Hampton House as a historical landmark called the Save the Hampton House Campaign, which provides details of the historical and architectural significance of the home. The campaign has received support from multiple U.S. representatives, like Bobby Rush and Danny Davis, and has received support in an online petition that has collected 5,000 signatures to date. Hampton Jr. called specifically on students to support societal change, saying, quote, We need students. We need students to bring their skills, take bourgeoisie skills, and make them work in the interest of the masses, end quote. Other components of the anniversary celebrations included the unveiling of the People's Bench, a bench outside the Hampton House where many famous figures and community leaders in civil rights action were once seated. To learn more about the Hampton House and how you can be involved in its receiving landmark status, you can visit savethehamptonhouse.org. So while we're on the topic of community action and activism, Greg, you've got a story for us about GSU, right? Yes, I do. So activists from the GSU and other members of the New Chicago community rallied outside Levi Hall on October 19th which marks four years since the breach was immunized. During the rally, speakers reiterated their promise to uphold the Student Services Fee, or SSF, a controversial quarterly cost issue to graduate students at the university. Attendees at the rally also recited chants in support of unionization, the GSU's long-awaited recognition by the university, and the abolition of the New Chicago Police Department. Much of the GSU's activism, however, has centered on the SSF, which totaled $432 in the fall when quarter and $230 million in the final quarter. The university bursar claims to have helped support services like New Chicago Student Wellness and Student Disability Services, among others. At the rally, however, GSU Communications Secretary Laura Colinari criticized the SSF as, quote, a garnish on people's wages, end quote, something that's especially unfair during a pandemic when people are grappling with lost work and some can't access their services. GSU's Hope President and Department Organizer, Michael Stedlin Jr., also spoke to the crowd, citing an email he received the previous month from Tia Wolf, Dean of Students in the Humanities, in which she threatened to reallocate his teaching and was told he'd speak up if he did not pay the students. Activists were also joined by New Chicago faculty, such as Computer Science and Statistics Professor Yali Anik, who emphasized the importance of graduate research and teaching assistants, stating, quote, the university won't be able to do anything without your work, end quote. Despite the GSU's unionization vote passing in 2017, the university continues to not recognize GSU, and according to Anik, university president Paul Alizi Stafford was dismissive when the GSU sent him a letter requesting a meeting. Culinary concluded her speech in reaffirming the GSU's resolve, saying, quote, we're not going away. You haven't taken the wind out of our sails, end quote. The full story is up on the Marines website and was first reported by Michael McCoy. I'm old enough to remember when GSU, that whole GSU strike happened our first year around. Yeah, I actually, I, I remember that. I that remember was, that yeah. very vividly. I forget if we talked about this exact thing on the podcast. No, we, we made a special report about it, remember? Well, yeah, yeah, yes, oh. but I mean, like, on the weekly, like, a week or two ago. Maybe it wasn't, we did make a special report about it. Dear listeners, you should listen to it if you care about this, but maybe I was just talking with a friend of mine, but I remember my, the spring of my first year, uh, I was in Gen Chem, among other classes, but Gen Chem was the one where I really interacted with a lot of grad students because they were all of our TAs and they held review sessions and sections and uh, study sessions and co like homework problem solving 
sessions, all that kind of stuff that tenured professors would never do. Um, and the point is, GSU went on strike, as they should have, during finals week. Yeah. The spring quarter of ROMs in my first year. So there was a big standoff of whether or not GSU students are considered employees of the university, and there is a serious threat to holding out during exams, and so that would affect grading and right. timeliness of academia. And right, yeah. Really evidenced how necessary grad students are on campus. Yeah. Let's see, you've got a story about night owls with Agnes Cowley, right? That is right. The night owls are back after an eyebrow-raising and thought-provoking lecture against American higher education. Last Thursday at 9 p.m., 200 students packed into Kent 107 to listen to Brian Kaplan, a professor of economics at George Mason University, converse with Agnes Callers, a professor of philosophy here at UChicago. The topic of discussion was Professor Kaplan's newest book, A Case Against Education. In it, he argues against particularly non-STEM higher education and in support of a more vocational system. One of his points was that college is not job training, as many imagine it to be. It's a, quote, passport to a job, while the real training is the job itself. He explained that in law school, for example, aspiring lawyers are bogged down with education on outdated 12th century English law, which, surprise, surprise, isn't too relevant today. So they'll only truly understand the practice of law by practicing it in a firm. Another argument was for child labor, which the professor is quick to clarify did not mean children working in factories or coal mines, but finding job experience in, say, a donut shop. The skills attained through experiences like these, he argued, are more applicable to the real world than the ones gained in the American K-12 education system. Maybe his most shocking point was that basically all non-STEM degrees are socially useless. English majors will publish a research paper on Shakespeare that only 30 people will read, and a music major will spend most of their energy looking for and playing at small gigs. Meanwhile, STEM, he argued, consists of forward-looking fields that provide value to society. The professor took on the lens of an effective altruist and asked, let's say it takes $100,000 in funding to turn someone into a Shakespeare scholar through college. Wouldn't that money be better spent on, say, malaria nets? In the end, Professor Kaplan brought to the table a fresh perspective, and you Chicago students came with light hearts and pressing questions, lasting until the clock struck 12. That guy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and I hate him. Uh, um, as, a, as a dumb humanities major, I deal with that moral quandary every day, so... I don't like hearing it from someone in a position of power. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I went to a Night Owls lecture when I was a sophomore, and I wrote a story about it. Shout out in the room. It was about the ethics of artificial intelligence at Night Owls, and Agnes Coward is a very interesting person. She's fun to listen to, and she dresses up like a box of colored pencils. So um, her lunch hour was a lot of fun. But yeah, I don't like that guy. I have made an enemy. I mean, the, I mean, the thing is, the University of Chicago likes to promote a liberal education so that its students aren't narrow-minded. Oh, and it seems to me that this, that this professor, like, exemplifies the exact opposite of that. <laughs> because by solely focusing on economics, he only adopts an economic point of view. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Only STEM kids can make the world a better place. There is no place in the world for humanities or arts. 
we live in a black and white dystopia. Where one by one be heroes. Anyways, to something a little lighter. Belle, you want to tell us about the new coffee shop? I would love to. A new coffee house known as Fairgrounds Craft Coffee and Tea will be opening in Hyde Park in early 2022, right alongside other popular shops under most residential condos. Fairgrounds Craft Coffee and Tea offers a variety of unique coffee flavors and even a matcha bar. Alongside coffee, breakfast, lunch, and dinner will be available for all to enjoy. Fairgrounds Craft Coffee and Tea will join a number of relatively new restaurants in the South Side in light of COVID restrictions easing. Other new restaurants in the South Side include Dan's Donuts and Supreme. This was originally reported by Yuen Lu. I think the most concerning part about this is that they're not going to take million dollars and I'm going to spend my weekly budget <laughs> every week. I'm shocked that they're not taking million dollars. Oh, I'm not sure about that. I assume that they wouldn't. They are off campus technically. So. Apparently, Tayamo and Insomnia could easily take a million dollars. Really? Yeah. That's new. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. I started calling them Maroons and Blues my first year, and it never really yeah. caught on. But yeah, that's crazy. Rom, Joanna, and I were all here to remember the epic rise and fall of Dollop Coffee, which preceded <laughs> um, this new place right underneath North. And it was very aggressively average. Like, it was, it was the embodiment of fine, in the best sense of the word. Like, it was fine. It was, the coffee was good, but it was expensive. Or you could get the cheap coffee, and it was bad, but it was cheap. So it was very, very okay. I have high expectations for this new place, though, because I'm a very big proponent of campus coffee. Speaking of, the student coffee shops are opening up this week. So, starting Monday, uh, Hallowed, X, Cobb, others, this school, uh, <laughs> No, X is already open. Yeah, Harper. Harper's yeah. the other one. Yeah. Everyone's going to be open by the start of week six, so. Yeah. Get your coffee. And get your friends in coffee shops. So then they can give you free coffee. That's the secret. I have a friend in every single campus coffee shop. It's been my mission. That's true, by the way. Dang. So, you yeah. got to be our, uh, our fence. You got to yeah. be our fence. Our yeah. coffee fence. Actually, I don't drink coffee that much. So <laughs> I don't need a fence. <laughs> You're a big coffee person. Joanna, you want to give us uh, the COVID update? Yeah, sure. Updated by Solana Adedoku. From October 22nd to 28th, UChicago reported 39 new cases on campus in 194 close contacts. About 35 students are isolating off campus and fewer than five students are isolating on campus. The positivity rate for UChicago this week is 0.43%. The seven-day positivity rate for Chicago is 1.6%, having a 0.3% decrease from the previous week. UChicago students and employees who are over 18 and live or work in healthcare and school settings can now get an optional COVID-19 booster shot. Consultations are available for whether a booster shot is needed. This week, the Pfizer vaccine is pending approval for children aged 5 to 11 by an FDA advisory committee. This vote is set to happen as soon as next week. Final approval by the CDC and FDA would make the vaccine available to this age group through primary care providers and vaccine sites in Chicago. Get your booster shot. Mm-hmm. I had something profound to say about the uptick in cases. Oh, the thing that, that I thought of when you were talking about that. The university said uh, less than five cases on campus, which is great, but like that's a very like enumerable number. So is it like four, is it three? It's just less than five, yeah. nebulously less than five. That's the bracket they're dealing with. 
Uh, but anyways, stay safe. Hopefully the Halloween weekend didn't expose us to COVID-19, though I have my suspicions. Yeah, I definitely, definitely yeah. did. Yeah. So before we let you guys go, what did you guys do for Halloween, my fellow hosts? I just went to a couple friends' get-togethers and had a wonderful night. But I might be going to the point tonight. There are cupcakes being handed out by one of my friends, and I'm going to be there for that. But Oh, dang. Yeah. What did you guys do to celebrate I actually, the holiday? I actually also went to the point yesterday with a few friends because we were apparently supposed to be able to see Aurora Borealis. Really? Yeah, but oh, there was... There in was Chicago? Just, yeah. It was supposed to be viewable, but it was too cloudy. And also there was light pollution, Classic. so... Classic. Yeah. yeah, but in addition to that, I also hung out with friends. We watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Nice. So what's what's uh, Halloween right now like in residence halls? What's that? It's actually pretty it's pretty hopping. Okay, yeah, so we're back to we're back to normal. -ish. Yeah, we're kind of back to normal. People are gonna be trick or treating in front of the dorms. We're gonna be handing out candy. That's cool. I love doing that. Yeah, that's fun. My cape isn't here yet though. <laughs> <laughs> Is it arriving today? It's supposed to be. It was supposed to arrive on Friday, and oh. then they were like, "Okay, now Saturday." For context, we're recording on Sunday, the thirty first. Oh, yeah. Oh man, if it doesn't come on, I'll be so disappointed. It's all right. Batman is Batman, regardless of his cape. Don't get me started. Uh, I was at the um, U Chicago Symphony Orchestra concert last night. For oh, the, that's cool. Yeah, it was really fun. They they started with um, Ride of the Valkyries. Oh wow. Like, ba, ba, da, ba, 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 da, ba. That's cool. And the conductor like came in on a horse, like in a Valkyrie, what the? <laughs> like a mechanical horse. It was it wow. Was where was this? Where it was, was in Mandela. It was yeah, in Mandela. Wow, that's awesome. That is great. That deserves its own story. Yeah, but for another day. <laughs> for another time. Yeah, that's awesome. That's super cool. I wasn't part of that. I don't know why I didn't hear about it. All right, uh, I think that is all we have for you guys this week. It was a pretty jam packed news session so hopefully you got all that info down but if not we will be back next week with another iteration of the maroon weekly so as always i am isaac i'm ron i'm greg i'm Belle. i'm mecca i'm joanna music for the weekly was produced in part by aaron sendon andrew beats and kenny talbot la vega thank you to the logan media center for the audio recording space and equipment and we will see you next week see ya bye <laughs>